Well, we know that you're used to hitting Walters before and after Nationals games, but don't forget about Walters while the Nats are out of town. Walters Brunch is a great reason to swing by Navy Yard with the purchase of an entree. You can now add bottomless Bud Lights, Trulies, Bloody Marys, and Mimosas for just $20. Reservations can be made at opentable.com. Regardless of the weather, Walters is always great, but especially if the sun is out and you can sit on their deck with friends. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Low Isaac Ascents. The kick and the pitch to Harrison. Swung on and belted to left field. This is deep. This is way back. This is going, going, and gone goodbye. Josh Harrison with a three-run home run. Bang, zoom, goes Harrison. No doubt about it off the crack of the bat. And a big eighth inning for the Nationals. Here's the 1-0. Swing and a breaking ball hit in the air to deep center. Way back goes Hicks to the warning track. To the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. Into the Nationals bullpen. Welcome back, Juan Soto. The Nationals are in double digits. It's Washington 11 and New York 3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, May 8th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We have been begging for it, we have been pleading for it, and we got it on Friday night. Firepower, an offensive explosion from the Nationals, and at Yankee Stadium, of all places, facing a team in the Yankees that is, of course, loaded in terms of power, the Nationals outpowered the Yankees, an 11-4 victory. In the Bronx, Yankees get out-homered by the Nationals, and the Nats come away with another one of these outings where you're like, geez, why can't we see that more often? Tremendous job by the Nats on Friday. I don't know, Al. I've covered this team for 17 seasons. I don't know if I've ever had a stretch where the range of emotions fluctuated so wildly day to day. One day you're saying, this team, boy, they're in trouble. They can't hit. They're never going to be able to figure this out. They can't do all the little things right. The next day you're saying, oh my God, they look fantastic. Look what they just did to one of the best teams in baseball. Boy, this lineup, boy, as soon as you get Soto back, man, they're going to be great. Uh, Patrick Corbin is solid again. The rotation is great. It's crazy, the wild swings of emotions. I mean, maybe it would be best for us just to take a step back and say, okay, let's look at the big picture here and understand there's going to be ebbs and flows, but it has been remarkable how wildly they have fluctuated day to day so far this season. It was a high-variance team going into the season. I feel like we said that about a million times. And it's been a high-variance season where every game is kind of its own entity. And that's the thing about baseball, right? It's 162 roller coasters. And we could sit here on the post-game pods after every game and go like, well, let's see what happens. But I don't know. I feel like that wouldn't be very interesting. 
No, I don't think that <laughs> I don't think that's what our listeners want. <laughs> no, no. So you get caught up in the day to day, but there's no doubt. Like over the course of 162, you see who's good. You can't fake it over 162. That's the thing. Like in the NFL, you can fake it over 16 games. You can't fake it over 162. So we'll see what the truth ends up being. But to see this from the Nationals on Friday, you know, it's something about Friday night games for the Nationals this season. The two Kyle Schwarber walk-offs have been on Friday night, and now you get something like this game on a Friday night. And to me, Mark, it wasn't just that the Nats hit four home runs. It's that three of the four were non-solo homers, guys on base, you know, big innings, big moments for the Nationals. That stuck out as much as anything. Yeah. And unlike two of the Yankees homers, the DJ LeMahieu ones, the Nats homers were no doubters. (laughs) Those weren't Yankee Stadium cheapies there. Gomes with a towering blast. Bell to into Monument Park in center field. Harrison's, the, the big blow in the eighth was, you know, no doubt or off the bat, he knew it. And Soto, of course. So, yeah, I mean, that was good. They had runners on base. They collected them when, you know, they needed to. But it's funny because we were presented with a situation there in the eighth inning of a 3-3 game in which they had been shut down for about five innings doing nothing. It's a tie game. You're facing the Yankees' bullpen. You get the leadoff guy on second base again, just like we saw them do the last few days against the Braves. And you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a manufacturer run situation and try to eke out a 4-3 win. And the next thing you know, they put six on the board and then tack on two more in the ninth and it turns into a route. The way that just flipped so quickly was pretty remarkable to me. And that's a good sign of a good lineup. That was a 2019 Nationals kind of rally where you kept the line moving and didn't just take the lead, but then extended it to the point that you weren't worried about it. How many postseason games were like that in 2019? That was impressive to me about this one. Yeah, I mean, it ends up being a blowout. It wasn't a blowout for most of the game. It became a blowout very late in the game. And the Nationals come through with the win. Nats also benefit from some sloppiness from the Yankees. You know, we've had the Nationals defensive conversation many times already. Nats overall are doing a good job defensively. Yankees have booted balls all over the place so far this season. Three errors, three costly errors by the Yankees in that sixth run. Nationals eighth inning. Nats get to 13 and 15 on the season. So let's get into some of the specifics in terms of the guys who did well. And, you know, there are a few guys we could start with. But to me, Josh Harrison, in a lot of ways, is the offensive story. So first of all, Harrison gets robbed, completely robbed, by a spectacular catch by the Yankees left fielder, Clint Frazier, a full extension diving catch, belly flopping onto the warning track in left center to rob Harrison of an extra base hit for the second out in the top of the third. But Harrison got his revenge, a three-run homer on a bomb to left field in that six-run eighth inning. That hit, as much as anything, kind of blew the game open. That took the Nats' lead from 4-3 to 7-3. He then drew a leadoff five-pitch walk, by the way, in the Nationals' two-run ninth inning. I tell you, there aren't many guys we could say who have been consistent offensive forces for the Nats so far this year. Harrison, though, has done that. In a lot of ways, you're like, man, he has no business doing this. He's supposed to be their super utility guy off the bench, but he has been so valuable for them as a hitter so far this year. Valuable. That's the word I was about to use. And remember, he wasn't supposed to be an everyday player. (laughs) If not for Carter Keeboom's failure this spring, Josh Harrison is coming off the bench and maybe starting some games in left field, second base, third base all over the place. And he ends up as their everyday second baseman. And he's hitting 325 now. He's getting on base at a big clip. He's hitting for power. This is not someone that we think of as a power hitter. We think of this as a contact guy, as a gap doubles kind of hitter, runs the bases well. He's hitting for power. That was a sneaky pickup for them a year ago. And I know that the team didn't have a good season, but he played well for them under those circumstances. And Mike Rizzo made it, I think it was his first move of the offseason to re-sign him. And this is somebody who has proven really, really valuable for them. 
And I actually like the way that lineup looked with him now. With Juan Soto back, you can have Trey Turner in the leadoff spot again. And Harrison, I think, is a good, solid number two guy that makes that top three really work. Let's see if they continue with it. But that's a nice look right now, I think, with three really productive hitters who do a lot of things well. Yeah, 909 OPS for Harrison on the year. This is probably snuck up on some people. Trey Turner's numbers have kind of cooled off. Harrison has a 909 OPS. Turner now is at 860. Like Josh Harrison has actually been a better hitter than Trey Turner has been for the Nationals so far this year, if you could believe that. And Trey's been good. It's not like Trey has not been good. So you mentioned Juan Soto. We see him play for the duration of a game, see him in the starting lineup in a game for the first time since he went on the 10-day injured list back on April 20th with a left shoulder strain. Of course, we saw him come off the bench throughout that three-game sweep against the Atlanta Braves. It did not go so well, 0 for 3 as a pinch hitter. So, okay, maybe he's not Chad Tracy as a pinch hitter, but we know what he is as an everyday batter. And Juan Soto, that was awesome to see that. First pitch single, first of all, in that six-run eighth inning, and then the two-run homer in the top of the ninth. You know, game was already pretty much decided at that point, but that gave the Nats an 11-3 lead. And to see Soto again do as he has done against the Yankees. I don't know why this is, but it is a thing. Juan Soto owns the pinstripes. I will gladly take Juan Soto, the everyday player, over Chad Tracy, the pinch hitter. (laughs) I think the Nationals will as well. As much as Tracy was good for them as part of the goon squad in 2012, I think they will happily take Soto as the everyday player there. And against the Yankees, you're right, at Yankee Stadium now, he's played two games there. He's four for eight with three homers and six (laughs) RBIs. And you just know, you just know that every New York writer who was there tonight is penning a column about how great he would look in pinstripes three years from now. And he's destined to become a Yankee. And if you're uh, Mark Lerner and Ted Lerner, you better make sure that doesn't happen. Yes. Because that would be devastating to the Nationals. So here's the thing. He didn't look great in those pinch hitting at-bats. And the first three at-bats of this game, he didn't look great. He was taking some strikes, some fastballs over the plate. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is Juan Soto? Like, what's going on here? And Davey said it. You just knew that he needed some consistent at-bats. It's hard to get your timing down when you're pinch hitting, getting one at-bat a game. Well, he got five. And by the fourth and the fifth, he had it figured out. And that Ninth inning home run. I know you said the game was already, you know, well in hand, but that is important for him to have that feeling again, get that swing down and blast a ball to left center field. That portends really well now moving forward. No doubt about that. So Harrison Homer, Soto Homer, Jan Gomes with another home run, two run shot with one out off the Yankees' daughter, Jamison Tyone, in the Nationals' three run second inning. He also, by the way, Gomes did put the ball in play to get to first base for that one-out run-scoring fielding error by the shortstop, Labor Torres, who has had all kinds of fielding problems so far this year for the Yankees. But, you know, we've talked about how Ryan Zimmerman is second on the Nationals with four home runs. He is now tied with Jan Gomes for second on the Nats and homers with four. And Jan Gomes, who in a lot of ways has really elevated the Nationals offensively at catcher over the last few years. I mean, Gomes, you know, he's not killing it this year, but he's now slugging 484, which these days for a catcher, I mean, you will take that in a heartbeat with the dearth of good-hitting catchers in the sport. And, you know, I was looking at some of the war numbers for the Nationals going into this game. Jan Gomes came into this game tied for second among Nats position players in wins above replacement per baseball reference. Trey Turner's number one by miles, but Gomes is tied for second. He's been among the more valuable players on the team so far this year. He's been great at throwing out base stealers. He had the air the other day after throwing out a runner earlier, but that's been a huge improvement for them as a team this season. And they said all along, they believed that he could be an everyday catcher. Maybe he's not going to catch 130, 140 games, but they didn't 
plan to go into this and say, okay, Gomes, you're catching three games and Avila's catching two. They felt like he could take on the workload of this. And so far he has shown that he can. I think this was his fourth straight game behind the plate. So he's holding up well physically. He is hitting the way that he used to back when he was with Cleveland. And there could be something here. You know, I'm not saying that he's going to hit 25 homers for them or anything like that, but I think he can be a productive hitter for them who comes through in some right spots for them. And if you've got him hitting seventh or eighth in your lineup, you're doing a pretty good job. And well, I'll be interested to see how this plays out over the whole season. But as much as we thought they might miss Suzuki's bat, Gomes's bat plus his defense might prove to be a net positive for them in the end. Yeah, and this is a conversation for many months ahead, but this is a contract season for Jan Gomes. This is age 33 season. You know, maybe it's like, hey, re-sign him for another year or two. Like, the guy can still play. We're seeing that so far this season. And then we'll save the best for last, or maybe it's the worst for last. I'm not sure, depending on how you want to frame it. But Josh Bell with a home run on Friday night. Great to see that. Solo shot that got the home run derby going from a Nationals perspective. Lead-off homer off Jamison Tyone in that Nationals three-run second inning. And this was a no-doubter, a projected 423 feet per stat cast. We've noted this, right? Josh Bell has been hitting balls hard. In fact, his exit velocity coming into the game, the exact same as it was in his monster 2019 season. The difference has been the launch angle, which is a fraction of what it was that year. Well, launch was not a problem on that shot. That was great. I mean, that, that was the center field, that home run. Yeah, in the Monument Park. I mean, that was a towering blast and a good sign of him being on a pitch. And you're right, he did hit the ball hard throughout this game. Even the outs, I think, were pretty hard, uh, 95 plus miles an hour off the bat in most of those cases. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before those do start to fall in for hits. And, you know, he had a, the home runs 110 off the bat. He also had a 109 mile an hour ground out. So, I think over time, you are going to see this. And he's been a really streaky hitter in his career. We talked about it before, like that 2019 season, he had a monster first half and then really struggled in the second half. So if you're the Nationals, I mean, yeah, you'd love consistency, but if you can get him on a hot streak where he does go off for two months at a time, that could carry a team for a while. And, you know, ultimately you're going to have Soto and Zim and, you know, hopefully Schwarber is better, Trey Turner, all that, that... Maybe you don't need this guy to hit every single day, but as long as he's connecting at the right times and maybe gets hot for a stretch there, it'll make a difference. So I don't know where it's going to go from here. We've kind of been fooled by him a little bit this season, so I don't want to jump to any conclusions. But he does continue to hit the ball hard, and it's nice to see it actually pay off for a change. It's funny, the guy with whom Bell is sharing time at first base, Ryan Zimmerman, they both kind of profile the same way, where Zimmerman for years, kind of the book on him is he hits balls hard, but he doesn't always have the right launch angle, although this year he's added. And Zimmerman, of course, has been a very streaky hitter too. Like Zimmerman can get white hot, and then he can also disappear. We've seen that with Bell in his career, so kind of two similar guys in that way. Now, it's it's interesting with this game because you had seven total homers. And I, I think for a lot of people look at this, they're like, oh, this is a classic 2021 Major League Baseball, you know, three true outcomes, home runs and nothing else, yada, yada. It's not really true. The Nationals put plenty of balls in play in this game, like Starling Castro, for instance, two singles and a walk. And I wanted to mention the Victor Robles plate appearance. Now, Victor went 0 for 3, but he had an excellent defensive play I want to mention in a moment. But he also had the sacrifice bunt on which he reaches first base thanks to a throwing error by the third baseman, DJ LeMayhew. And this to me seemed like maybe one of those instances where the guy's speed forces the air. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what DJ was thinking. But that was one of those key moments in that six-run eighth inning. That was a great bunt, first of all, by Robles. And then the speed perhaps contributing to LeMayhew making the errant throw. 
you took the words out of my mouth. I was thinking the exact same thing about it. First of all, perfectly placed bunt with a man on second. And, you know, yeah, your number one job is just to get the runner to third. Well, he put it in a place where that was guaranteed to happen. But then take off for first base. You don't know what's going to happen. And I, I agree. I think LeMahieu probably did have some thoughts, saw him out of the corner of his eye and said, oh, I better rush this and winds up throwing it away. And that helps create a much bigger inning than it might have been otherwise. And this is where even when he's struggling at the plate, when he's swinging away, Victor Robles can still be a valuable member of this team because of his defense, because of his base running, if he can clean that up, and because of things like this. He is getting on base. He's on base at like a 350 clip. He's drawn walks. He gets hit by pitches. It's part of his game. And he should be a good bunter. I think he should bunt for hits more often. I think if he tried to get one down past the pitcher's mound on the right side of the infield, he would beat a lot of those out. So there are ways for him to be productive, even if he's not hitting for power, even if he's not making contact as much as they would like. We've talked about this, like he's going to be a part of this team. He has to be a part of this team and they need him to contribute in any ways possible. So good for him for finding other ways to get the job done, even if he's not hitting in a classic way that you would hope that he would. Yeah, you mentioned the on-base. Robles is on-base at 340. He leads the team in walks with 12. Now, that won't last long. Juan Soto is going to you know, lap that like he'll lap it for everybody else. But Victor is getting on-base this season. He just has to hit for some power and hit for some more average. And I mentioned the defensive play. You know, this is one of those plays that the guy doesn't dive on, and it's not going to make you know web gems on ESPN. It's not going to be all over MLB Network. But if you happen to have the game on DVR or available to you, Go to the bottom of the second inning, second out. Victor Robles charging toward the infield makes a backhanded catch of a low-line drive off the bat of Clint Frazier. That's not an easy play to make. Robles makes that play, and he makes it look easy. Like That's the kind of value that Robles brings. Coming into the game, Robles was tied for fourth among all qualified center fielders in defensive runs saved at plus two. Not surprisingly, Michael A. Taylor was number two at plus four. Michael A. is doing another good job for the Kansas City Royals defensively so far this year. But that defense, like again, it's subtle. You don't always notice it. But if, if you watch the games, like you'll see Victor do things that I think are easy to take for granted sometimes. The first step is is the difference this year from where it was last year. That's why he wasn't making plays because he was getting a late jump. His first step has been fantastic. That ball from Frazier left his bat at 105 miles an hour. So you don't have a lot of reaction time to try to figure out where it's going and get to it. And he was right on it. And remember, I don't know, a week or two ago, we talked about uh, Roger Bernardina and how he'd make the spectacular catches and everyone loved him for it. And somebody told me, well, no, you know what? Denard Span is the guy to watch because he makes it look easy because he gets such a good read on it. He doesn't have to dive for it. We're seeing that with Robles. He can make the dive and catch <laughs> as we've seen plenty of times already this year too. But that first step is making the difference and that's what's going to allow him to be an elite center fielder again. One more offensive note from the Nationals' 11-run eruption on Friday night. I don't recall seeing this. I'm sure it's happened many times, but you've watched a ton of baseball. Andrew Stevenson, in that six-run eighth inning, entered the inning as a pinch runner and then batted in the same inning, ended up drawing a one-out five-pitch walk. Can you recall seeing that, where a guy comes in as a pinch runner and ends up batting later in the inning? No. You see every once in a while a pinch hitter get two plate appearances in the same inning. I don't believe I've ever seen that one. And I want to know, I, I should look at the box score. Like, what is he listed as for that at bat? Is he listed as a pinch runner still or as a pinch hitter? I don't know what the official terminology for that is because he's not pinch hitting. No, I think he's just in the game. He's just in the game, but he hadn't taken the right field position yet. So I don't know. Is he officially a pinch runner who's batting at that point? Uh, this is a stupid little baseball minutiae thing, but I love stuff like this. And I don't ever remember seeing it happen before myself, no. 
it was quirky, and, and it just kind of spoke to that inning and how much of a great inning it was for the Nationals. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Good pitching matchup on Saturday afternoon. San Diego at San Francisco. Joe Musgrove facing off with the former Oriole Kevin Gaussman. Both guys having good seasons. Consider the under in that game. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager. Only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee. 1-800-889-9789 or in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses all her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at RealEstateRachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin throws. And a swing and a little jam shot toward right, toward the corner. This one back, and it's gone. Inside outs the ball over the wall again. His second homer of the night, he has three hits, and he's tied the game at three. All right, so the Nats' starting pitcher on Friday night was Patrick Corbin, who, like the Nationals' offense, has been all over the place this season. You know, a few times he's been quite good, and then other times he's been horrendous. This is maybe the first Patrick Corbin outing where you say it was kind of middle of the road. Like, he wasn't bad, but you can't also say that he was great. 
Three runs in six innings on 81 pitches. The good included him giving up just four hits and no walks. Also included his velocity being pretty good, ranging between like 92, 94 miles per hour for a good chunk of the outing. The bad was that three of the four hits were homers, although there were the two cheapies, like you mentioned, from DJ LeMahieu. And Corbin did also give up some hard contact, and he also had just two strikeouts. So I don't know, there's kind of a lot to process with Corbin, but I think given the way things have gone, given what the potential was there for, you know, at Yankee Stadium against the likes of John Carlos Dan and Aaron Judge, I think you're satisfied if you're Davey Martinez with three runs in six innings. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the bar was set so low. He set the bar so low for himself that he doesn't have to clear it very high for us to say that it was a positive step. I do think it was a positive step for him. Three homers, like I said, two of them were Yankee Stadium classics, especially the first one by LeMahieu to start the game. The expected batting average on that ball by LeMahieu was 170. 170, and it's a home run. How does that happen? It was 343 feet fly ball to right field, and it's a leadoff home run. The other one was a little bit more, 348, and I think it was like a 350 uh, expected batting average, a little bit better. But I can't fault Corbin for those. Now, that said, he gave up some other hard-hit balls, like that one to Robles and a few others. He said, yeah, there's some loud outs there as well. So it wasn't great, but I do think from where he was to where he's getting to, it's a step in the right direction. His velocity was up. It was 92 to 94. He admitted his slider still needs to get a little sharper. He's still not kind of burying it down and towards the feet of a right-handed hitter. But I thought it was good, a good step in the right direction for him against a tough lineup with some big-name guys. He handled Stanton and Judge, so that's good. And he did what he had to do to keep him in the game, and they wound up winning it. So, you know, for me, you'd look at it as a positive, and maybe if this is 2019, Corbin, you're not looking at it quite as positively. But in 2021, the way things have started, I think it is a big step for him. Yeah, I mean, you can frame things how you want to. His first two starts this season were frighteningly bad, especially off how bad he was last season. And I think there was a concern of like, what's happening with this guy? The velocity still was not good. You look at him now, he's been decent to good in three of his last four outings. So, you know, you can work with that. Like, again, is that what he's paid to do? No, he's paid to be better than that. But at least you're like, all right, he's he's sort of stopped the bleeding here. And now it's just a question of, building upon what he's establishing here and hopefully getting back to where he was at for so much of that 2019 season. Corbin, he's from New York too, right? Oh yeah. Grew up in Syracuse, but a big Yankee fan. And just like we were talking about Soto earlier, a couple years ago, everybody in New York was convinced that Patrick Corbin wanted to be a Yankee and would be a Yankee. And how could he possibly choose anyone else over the Yankees? Well, he did. He chose the Nationals and he won a World Series and he got a big contract out of it. So I don't think he's too upset in the end about how that worked out. No. And and he was tremendous out of the bullpen in that postseason. That can never be forgotten, the value that Corbin brought to the Nationals that postseason as a reliever. Speaking of Nationals relievers, another good outing overall for the Nats bullpen. Three guys combined to allow one run in three innings. The one run coming off Will Harris in what was basically garbage time in the bottom of the ninth inning. But you had Kyle Finnegan tossing a scoreless seventh. You had Tanner Rainey tossing a scoreless eighth. I want to get to Rainey in a moment, but you noted this on Twitter with Finnegan, and it makes total sense given what we've talked about, but it kind of sneaks up on you. And that I don't know that people had really recognized it. When Kyle Finnegan gave up a one-out seven-pitch walk at Gary Sanchez in the seventh inning, that snapped an amazing streak of Nats relievers having retired 29 consecutive batters. Because we had those back-to-back games with all those perfect innings. 29 straight batters retired by the Nationals bullpen. What is this bullpen we're watching here? That's incredible. (laughs) I mean, we all saw this one coming, right? (laughs) 
No, not at all. It is remarkable. And that that streak snuck up on me. And it wasn't until I started calculating it during the game that I realized it. And I didn't want to, not that I worry about jinxing things. I mean, I'm a reporter. I'm not, that's not my my job. But that was one that you, you knew like, all right, I don't want to put that number out there until it's over because somebody is going to end up saying it was my fault when it gets snapped. But that is a remarkable streak. And it was on a borderline pitch that really could have been called a strike and that would have completely changed it and kept it going. But even with that, 29 in a row, retired, they still had a no-hitter going. An extended multiple pitcher, multiple day, no-hitter until two outs in the ninth when Will Harris gave up an RBI single. And at that point, they had gone 13 and two-thirds innings without giving up a hit. Nationals relievers. Prior to that point, the last hit that a Nationals reliever gave up was the Waskar Enoa Grand Slam off Tanner Rainey way back in the sixth inning on Tuesday. That is a remarkable thing. I don't think I've ever seen a bullpen collectively do anything like that. Certainly not a Nationals bullpen. And again, they got through this game without Hudson or Hand. So they're fresh. They're good to go on Saturday if it's a close game. It's really remarkable how they're getting this these contributions from everybody. And I thought this was a big night for Rainey, the one-week link so far. He looked like the old Tanner Rainey, three straight strikeouts. The slider was on point. He got Stanton and Judge with it. You know, let's see it more than once, but that was the most encouraging we've seen from him this year. Yes, and I wanted to get into that because, you know, it starts with a walk and you're kind of like, oh my God, here we go again with Rainey. But then the three straight strikeouts and of those three big names, LeMahieu, Stanton, Judge, like that's impressive. And I guess it's kind of like with Josh Bell where you don't want to say, okay, he's arrived. Like, let's see him do it again and again. But if you get Rainey going, I mean, they've been doing a lot of this without Rainey on point. If you have Rainey going and Hudson's in a good place and Brad Hand has been as good as he's been and Sam Clay is inducing ground ball after ground ball, and Kyle Finnegan is throwing immaculate innings, and Paolo Espino has been the find of the season, perhaps, with his sub-2 ERA. Like, what do you, and Will Harris still hasn't truly arrived yet. Like, what if Harris? And Wander Suero's coming Wander back. Wander Suero, I know. This is incredible what we're talking about here. The Nationals with not just a lockdown bullpen, but a deep bullpen. No, that's the thing. It's not, because a few years ago, they kind of had it where like, okay, a few guys were good. Now it's like, what, five, six deep? I can't recall this ever with a Nationals team. No, maybe 2012 when you had Storen, Clippard, Burnett, Ryan Matthews. That was a pretty good deep bullpen. We know how that worked out. Well, yeah, well, that's another story. But uh, maybe all the way back in 05, the Chad Cordero, Gary Majeski, Luis Ayala bullpen that was very good. But no, I mean, this, again, it's early. You don't know how it's going to play out. Things can change quickly when it comes to relievers. But they're at a spot right now where one or two of these guys could blow up and it won't really affect things too badly in the long run because they have enough other options, including one I just said, Suero is going to go on a rehab assignment for Rochester this weekend. So he may only be you know a week away or so from returning. That is a real nice luxury to have. And they even have some guys at AAA, McGowan and others who could help them. So that is a huge development for them. I think we went into this thinking we liked the back end, but we did not know they had this kind of depth. And that makes a huge difference. And it allows guys like Corbin and Lester and Fetty to go into a game and say, hey, if I just give them five or six quality innings, that's enough because we have the arms to fill the rest of that game. That's big. Yeah. And I didn't even mention Austin Voth. You know, Austin Voth, <laughs> the emergence of him as a reliever and what that's been so far this year. So great to see that, you know, very big positive for the Nationals and the kind of thing that would probably be looked at as an even bigger positive if the Nationals were doing better. But of course, it's not like they're doing that bad. You know, it's just their sub 500. They've had some frustrating stretches here. 
Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12. They taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. If you're a young professional, entrepreneur, college student, a mom, whoever you are, CBD Sunday Scaries gummies will work for you. I take it before I go to bed every single night. Let me tell you, I haven't slept this well in years. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for Nat's Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. Manscaped has forever changed the grooming game with the perfect package 3.0 for a limited time. Subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code NATSCHAT at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code NATSCHAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the promo code NATSCHAT. Nationals look to make it back-to-back wins at the Yankees on Saturday afternoon. It's a 105 first pitch. It's an interesting pitching matchup. Max Scherzer, Corey Kluber. Now, Kluber clearly isn't what he used to be, although Kluber's actually done a pretty good job for the Yankees so far this season. Max is coming off one of those, you know, all-time max outings with what he did in the 3-1 victory over the Miami Marlins in Nationals Park last Sunday afternoon, bouncing back from a bad start with a complete game gem, one run, nine innings, nine strikeouts, and then after the game, his wife giving birth, and, uh, you know, just sort of a classic Max story that'll be told for years to come, but I think everyone expects Scherzer to be good. I think the concern, though, would be the home run, Yankee Stadium. We've seen Max get got early in some games over the last few years by the home run. I think if he can get through, like, the first inning or two and he's unscathed, I think you're rolling at that point. Yeah, 100%. That's the storyline of this game. Can he keep the Yankees in the ballpark? You know, he faced them on opening day last year in D.C. and gave up some bombs. And what wound up being a rain-shortened game, we know opening day this year, the four homers. At this stage of his career, he only gets beat on homers. He just does not get beat with sustained rallies. So that's the challenge for him. And you've got to somehow keep LeMahieu, Stanton, Judge, Torres, all these guys in the ballpark. First inning will be huge, like you said, but I think it's really going to be one of those where he can't let up the entire game. One bad pitch in that ballpark against this lineup can flip a game. You'd love for the Nats to score a bunch of runs like they did Friday night, but I don't know that you can count on that happening two in a row. Certainly they have not proven that they're ready to do that yet. So I think it is imperative of Scherzer to, number one, keep runners off base so that if somebody does hit it out of the park, it's a solo shot, but really bear down. He can't give in on any single pitch in this game because they can very quickly do some damage on it. And the other thing to watch in this one is could Juan Soto be in right field? He was going to try out the arm before Friday's game and see how it was. If things went well, Davey said he thought there was a chance he could play right field. 
And the key to that is, it's not just getting him in right field, but now that opens up the DH slot for Bell and or Zim, and they can both be in the lineup at the same time. And now that lineup looks a lot more imposing than it does otherwise. Honestly, just looking at the box score throughout the game on Friday night, just seeing the name Soto in that number three spot, it just looked better. It looked more right, you know? I mean, there are still all kinds of things you worry about with the team, but like just seeing that name in that spot, you're like, okay, you know, like now this kind of feels more like it's supposed to feel. We've been requesting from you guys Tales of Little League, the Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And there's kind of a theme that's emerging here. Because the Nats won on Friday night, I thought we could work one of these into the mix. So this is from our friend Nathan Richmond. He says, this doesn't quite fit Little League because it was high school, but it makes me laugh every time I think of it. My dad did not like being around other parents, so he would always watch my games down one of the outfield lines. On this particular night, I was pitching and located my dad after the first inning next to first base. That night, I threw seven hitless innings, and after the last out, my teammates rushed the mound. I walked over to my dad, who said, what the hell was that all about? I replied that I had just thrown a no-hitter. He looked at me and said, that's pretty cool, buddy. I didn't get here until two outs into the first. See you at home. The entire time my team was stressing about a potential no-no, my dad was oblivious because he hit traffic on 495. So I guess he knew that Nathan was doing well, but didn't know that Nathan was in the midst of a (laughs) no-no, and he didn't have quite the reaction that Nathan wanted at the end of that game. What is going on with the fathers of our listeners? (laughs) Young dads out there, this is not the way to do it. This is not the example you want to set. I know these all have worked out well, and I'm sure these people grew up to have you know great lives, and, and I'm sure they love their fathers, but oh my God. A little love, a little attention, a little praise, never hurt anyone. It's okay to support your children and acknowledge and understand what they're doing on a baseball diamond. Great stories, but man, can we get one from somebody where their father, you know, like, can we have a Field of Dreams father-son moment here instead of the parent who didn't know, you know, what handed they were, tossed them a glove, didn't realize they had a no-hitter going? I mean, we're on quite a run with these stories here. Yeah, this is almost becoming like therapy and like people are kind of coming out with their parental issues, you know, maybe like we need the song Cats in the Cradle in the background or something to like, you know, capture all this or something. But hey, we're here for whatever needs you guys have. Okay, so keep the stories coming. Keep the feedback coming. Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us too at Nats underscore chat. And a reminder, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast via whatever app you use. Subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. And also, uh, if you could just rate and review the podcast when you get a chance. Again, costs you nothing. Takes like 30 seconds. Just give the podcast a five-star rating uh, and then write like a one-sentence review. It helps out a lot. All right. We appreciate everyone for listening, for supporting the podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on NatsTech, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey, Dad? You want to have a catch?